Hi, and welcome to Talking With Cancer. I'm Katie, and I'm here to give you an honest, real, and even funny outlook on living with cancer. There is no one way to do cancer, and I've decided to share my story to help and inspire others, as well as raise awareness. At age 43, I was diagnosed with a rare type of thyroid cancer known as hobnail in February 2022, having never had any health issues previously. I was fit and well and took pretty good care of myself. But despite that, I got a diagnosis and I am on a long-term treatment plan. On this podcast, I will be sharing my progress regularly. And I often speak to amazing guests who've been impacted by cancer in some way. I really hope you enjoy listening. And if you do, then please rate, review, follow and recommend the pod. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to episode nine this week. I never know what I'm going to call the episode till I've finished recording it. So it's a surprise for me. It won't be a surprise for you because you'll have seen the title on your podcast platform when you went to open the episode. Yeah, I wanted to give you guys an update, which you may or may not have been expecting. Obviously, I do the solo recording every other week. And last week, I had a really great guest, Alistair Lynn, who is a registered dietitian. That was great to hear about his work and his experience and his opinions. So I hope you enjoyed that. The week before was a bit of a tricky one, actually. I recorded the episode entitled Burden. I was in a really bad way. And I actually thought I should get on the microphone and talk whilst I'm in that situation rather than the usual kind of retrospective way that I talk about what's been going on. And I got some really lovely responses from a number of you And it was lovely, A, of you to get in touch and reach out, but B, to feed back to me what you thought of the episode and why it touched you. You all said a similar thing, which is like, you know, you're not a burden. And actually, it's sometimes can feel like a real privilege to take care of or support or be with someone who's unwell. I feel like it really helped me to kind of wash my hands of that mindset. I mean, I can't say I'll never go back to feeling like that. But to get such a huge consensus from you guys was very reassuring indeed. So thank you very much for that, for your continued support. It's just lovely and it really means a lot. I'm pleased to say I'm feeling really good at the moment and... (laughs) I can actually recall the point at which I started to feel much better, which was after a colonoscopy that I had. I had to, obviously, you have to prep for a colonoscopy. You have to totally and utterly clear your bowels out so that when they go in with a camera, it's really clear and they get a really good picture, see what's going on inside your bowels, basically. I have mentioned already that I did the genetic blood test and found out I have the CHECK2 gene. That means I think it's 30% more likely to get bowel cancer 
or breast cancer or thyroid cancer. And what we don't know is whether the check two is the reason for the thyroid cancer because we always thought that it was the ROS1 gene, which is the mutating gene. So we always thought that the ROS1 gene was the cause of the cancer. Of course, play a huge part in sort of why I got the thyroid cancer in the first place, but the check two kind of makes things a little bit confusing. But it means every five years I have to have a colonoscopy and every year I have to have a mammogram. So I did go and have the mammogram, which it's quite painful, actually. I mean, you know, it's fairly quick, but basically hoisting your breasts onto a machine and then getting them clamped down so that they can take a picture of them, basically, and do a scan. Sorry to say, yeah, it's pretty uncomfortable. But luckily, I was very pleased to be told there and then that the scan was clear. And then afterwards, I saw a consultant who also does an examination and she confirmed that everything's fine. So that's great. So I have to do that again in a year's time. The colonoscopy, which I'd never had before, I have to have every five years. And what was involved for me was a three day no fibre diet prior to the colonoscopy. And I think that that is so that nothing kind of sticks to the bowel. I think that fibrous foods, as much as they're really important, they help the movement of the bowel. They can stick to the bowel as well. I need to check that because I don't know if that's definitely the reason why I was on the low fiber diet. And I don't know whether that does definitely happen. Once I've kind of done that for three days, I then have to prepare a drink with this powder that they gave me and sit for like an hour, an hour and a half, drinking a glass full every 15 to 20 minutes. And then pretty much within the hour of finishing, that's kind of it. <laughs> and you have to be by a toilet because everything's just coming out. It really starts to become very liquidy after a while as well. Then I slept overnight. I'd been fasting for this whole time as well. The next morning I had to do the same thing again with this powder and liquid. I mixed it with some apple juice, which meant it really didn't taste too bad, actually. But I felt really rubbish. I felt really, really tired, hungry and bored, basically. And then I had to travel to the hospital, which is a little bit anxiety inducing, because what if I'm going to need the toilet on the way? And they had said to me, you know, you need to bring someone with you, ideally, because I had asked to be sedated. They give you the choice if you want to or not. And by the way, who doesn't get sedated for these kind of procedures? Clearly, some people don't. But I was like, definitely sedate me. So I got to the hospital and they sort of take you into a little outpatient day ward and they give you a COVID test take your blood pressure basically just do your obs and then they put a cannula in which is for the sedation and the I'm going to call her a radiographer the woman who was putting the camera up my ass to be really really crude about it came and had a really nice chat to me about what the procedure 
what was involved in the procedure and how long it would take and stuff like that. And then they wheel you into, it feels like a little operating theatre, put the sedation in. And then I felt like I was awake the whole time, but I don't think I could have been. And it's really quite an easy, straightforward procedure. It didn't hurt at all. And she's telling you, like, as she's there, what she's seeing. That's quite reassuring, actually, because you know what's going on, like, in the moment. There's none of that kind of waiting around for results and stuff. And she said to me, everything looks absolutely fine. You've got nothing to worry about. Thanks for doing the prep so thoroughly. Everything was really clear to see. And that was it. And I left and I had my mum with me, actually. And she drove me home, which was really kind and really helpful. And I wondered what she thought, actually, because my mum hasn't taken me to appointments before. But when we arrived at the Royal Marsden, I knew my way around. I knew where I was going. And to me, everything was very familiar. And of course, she she had come to the hospital to visit me when I was in the ward, staying over after my surgery. But I don't think she'd really kind of navigated her way around or seen me in that environment and in that way. I wondered actually how that was for her. So I'm going to ask her how that was. And I'll tell you next time. When I thanked her for taking me, she said, I was really glad you asked me. And it was another reminder, a bit like what I was saying about the burden episode, that when you ask for help, people want to give it. I think it's really important to remember that actually. Afterwards, the next day when I woke up, because of all this prep that I'd done, which I felt was like some kind of purging, I felt reborn. I felt amazing. I just was so relieved that I was feeling really, really good. And you know what my attitude was? I'm feeling good today. I don't know how I'm going to feel tomorrow. I might feel rubbish. But today I'm feeling good and I can be active and I can do stuff. It was great. And I think because I had so much appreciation for feeling well, and when I woke up the next day, I felt really well again. I was like, this is awesome. I had about five or six consecutive really good days, which was such a good feeling. And then after that, like the nausea kicked in a bit and, you know, I had a few side effects, but... I have been feeling definitely a lot better than I have felt like the previous months. So that's a real relief. That feels really, really good. Also got gout on my thumb, which I think is a bit of an unusual place for it. I had this big sore swelling. It sort of is a bit like a big mosquito bite on the knuckle of my thumb and went in to see my oncologist who said this could be a side effect of the lenvatinib. We do see it. She said, I'm just going to take an x-ray to make absolutely sure that it's nothing else, i.e. disease in the bone. I was taking anti-inflammatories for it, which I did for about four or five days, and then it started to go down, which is good. So that's now doing much, much better. I still have this pain in my ankle and the plantar fasciitis, but I think that having the orthotics is really good. I'm having physiotherapy for it. So I'm confident that that's going to help. My next scan 
is going to be in about a month's time. And I've got absolutely no idea what that scan's going to show. I have these visible lumps on my collarbone, which I've talked about. I'm pretty confident they're going down. But of course, it's crossed my mind that when I felt well before, which was the end of last year, so kind of December time into January, I went for my scan and it showed some progression. And I thought feeling well doesn't actually correlate to the treatment working and the cancer shrinking, weirdly. As always, thinking about the fact that I'm going to have a scan coming up and have to get those results is... I just don't know if I'll ever get used to that, to be honest. But I don't need to worry about it at the moment. I think what's lovely at the moment is just enjoying summer and enjoying having the doors open, all the lovely greenery around. And today I had such a lovely day with my friend Gemma. We went swimming in the Hampstead Heath ladies' ponds by Kenwood, which was really special, actually. She and I had done that once together last year. That was on quite a cold day, and it was quite cold, and we didn't really swim very much. We sort of got in and got out. But today, it was beautiful and warm. I think the water was like 20 degrees or something. It's great there. It's beautiful. You're really in nature and surrounded by trees. And it's all women, obviously, at the ladies' ponds. There's no inhibitions. It's very relaxed. It feels like a community, even though you don't know the other women. And swimming around, quite big pond. We did a lap with ducks in the water and other women swimming around and chatting and it was just gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. So we've agreed to go again in a couple of weeks and it's such a treat. That's been really lovely. The other thing I wanted to share is that I've started seeing a death doula and last series I had a great chat with Emma Claire. Emma is herself a death doula and I found that in very fascinating conversation then I've sort of always said, following that interview, I really want to have a death doula myself. Death and the subject of death and talking about death is heavy, for sure. But I have definitely found that the more I talk about it and the more I accept it and embrace it, and really distance myself from it being a taboo, the easier it is. I can't really say it any more simply than that. It's not something that's on my mind all the time, 24-7. But by having a death doula, it's a great way to almost compartmentalise that thinking. And I've had one session with her so far. We chatted for about an hour and a half about lots of different things. She's going to help me with some of the practical things that I need to organise and arrange, which, again, is something anyone can do. 
So thinking about things like my will, what do I want my funeral to be like? Um, I've been thinking about things like I'd love to have a tree planted in the woods or in the park where I go to. She was great because she said, you know, sometimes you'll think that you want something to be one way and then that changes over time and that's absolutely fine. But she said to me, if you want to talk about death and dying, I really love talking about it and I can talk about it for as long as, you know, as long as you like. I'm sure we will. I sort of don't quite know. I feel in two minds about it when I'm not feeling well and I worry about what the future holds the idea of death and dying is scary and sad when I'm feeling okay and I'm kind of in a place of accepting where I'm at it doesn't scare me at all I mean it's an inevitability and the truth is I don't think I've ever been scared of death and dying it's not something that's been an issue for me. I haven't had what we call death anxiety. Having this diagnosis hasn't necessarily changed that. I've just had to delve deeper into it. And really, it's what everyone says in this sort of position, like you just want to live more and live as much as you can and make the most out of life. And she said to me, you know, what do you want out of life? And I said, nothing more than I've got. I've changed this thinking about having to have big ideas, big ambitions, big goals, thinking about how do I measure my success. And I don't know whether that's an age thing now. I'm 45. You know, I've had a good career. I've run my own business. I've done lots of things with my life. And so maybe I feel at peace with where I'm at because of that. Or maybe I feel at peace because this is where I am and I'm learning to kind of just be very present and not think about the things that I want in my life. Because I sort of know how I like to live my life and that's pretty much how I live it. And those are the kind of thought-provoking things that she and I can talk about. So we'll get together maybe every month or every six weeks, you know, until I feel like, okay, we can kind of take a break maybe now or pick it up again. So she's not a therapist, but she has got a really good understanding and left me with some admin. So I need to look at that. I still haven't looked at it. Questionnaires and things. And I look forward to seeing her again. The other thing that I haven't talked about at all on here, not for any reason, I just haven't, is that Dinch and I have been having a couple's therapist through the hospital. So this is something that they offer. The therapist who we have specialises in, I think it's called Onc Psych or Psych Onc, Psychological Oncology or Psychotherapy Oncology or basically those two things more or less combined. So this is her field. She specializes in people with cancer. And what happened was last May, I asked my team, you know, do the Royal Marsden or the NHS provide counseling support? Because I had my own therapist at that time. And I think Dinch did as well at that time. 
And I thought it would be really useful if the two of us could see someone together and just to share really like how we're doing as a couple with what's going on. It took them quite a while, I have to say, and that's just waiting lists and resource. But fast forward to, I think, maybe January or February this year, we got a call from a woman who said, if we do a session and we like and we want to continue, we are entitled to six sessions with her. And it's been really good. It's been really, really great because it's been quite spread out. So it's not weekly or sort of bi-weekly. It's a bit more random than that, but that's fine. It's just been a really great space for us to share what's going on. And she has access to my records and my files. So she's got a good sense of where I'm at, what's been going on, results looking like, what treatment's looking like, which has been really helpful that she's got that insight. And then obviously because of her experience, she's got a good sense of like how I might be feeling, for example, after the radiotherapy or, you know, how I'm tolerating the treatment. She's got a bit of an overview of that. And it's just a great, space for us to share yeah how we're feeling and how we want to connect and one session it might be that I feel I need more of her support or another session I might feel that Dinch needs more of her support we both felt like it's been really really useful so I really recommend that if that's something you think you'd like to try with your partner or on your own, it's definitely worth asking if the team that look after you can provide that because it's a great way to reflect back. You know, it's tough. It's tough going through this, whether you're in a relationship or not, obviously, it's really tough. So that's been really, really good. I think that brings you guys up to speed. Yeah, I think that is the update as it stands. Of course... What I've been loving is the Voices with Cancer. I'm so glad that we do that on this show. And this week I have a Voice with Cancer from Katie. I'll play that for you now. My name is Katie. I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer at the age of only 34. I was diagnosed December 2022 and since then I've undergone six rounds of chemotherapy and I have two remaining. Following my chemotherapy, I shall be having surgery and radiotherapy. My biggest takeaway from all of this was I never thought it would happen to me. I stupidly never checked myself. I found a lump late August 2022 and it took me till October to get a doctor's appointment. One, because I thought nothing of it, looking online and, and reading things, nothing suggested the lump I'd found was breast cancer. It completely has torn my life upside down. You know, I had really long hair, thick long hair. I was a standard kind of 34 year old, still have a good job. I was going about my life, never thinking anything like this could happen to me. And then when it does happen to you, it completely takes you by surprise. When I was diagnosed, I think it took a good month before I realised what was actually going on. Everything is told to you, so much information, and you can't get your head around it. 
since then, I've learned to take the positives from everything that has gone on. I strangely wouldn't change anything because it has really made me value life. It's made me value the people around me. And it's made me value, you know, each day, living for each day and how valuable life is and how quickly everything can take a turn. Chemotherapy is not an easy ride. I've had many ups and downs throughout all of this. I think for me, the biggest challenge has been for my mental health, which is why now I'm looking at the positives and I'm taking away the positives to hopefully be able to rise above this when my surgery and radiotherapy comes to an end. My biggest thing I would recommend to anyone going through this, if it is available for you, is the cold cap because I've been able to retain a lot of my hair. I since shaved my hair off two weeks ago, so my sixth round of chemotherapy, I had read a lot about people taking back control and that is definitely what I've done by shaving my head and it has completely made my confidence come back. So thanks for that advice, Katie, about the cold cap. It really struck me when you said that you stupidly thought everything would be okay and didn't get checked. I've talked about that before on here. You know, we've all done that, by the way. I understand that kind of beating yourself up about it. But I think it's really, really common. And I think some self-compassion, which I could learn about as well, is really important when it comes to sitting on symptoms because despite the awareness that's out there, we just don't think it's going to happen to us, do we? So we ignore stuff. Yeah, I just wanted to say when I first heard that from you, Katie, it upset me and I get it. I totally get it. But I hope you can rethink how you talk about your diagnosis and how you talk about yourself within that story. If people want to follow Katie, she is on Instagram and I have put her contact detail, well, her Instagram handle um, in the show notes. So yeah, she is Notorious KGA. That's it from me this week, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, I have a really great chat with a theatre director called Raz Shaw. I've entitled that episode, Cancer Saved My Life. And you'll have to tune in to find out why. See you then, guys. Bye.